0: You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more about Trinity, visit our website trinitychurchdenver.org. Here this morning, um, and particularly thanks to uh, Brady and all of her various contributors uh, to the burritos that will be eating in the next few weeks. What's up? So, um, so we uh, we've asked you to come three weeks in a row early um, to eat breakfast burritos and to sing um, and to think together about how to live faithfully in this cultural moment in this world. Um, We've done that because at the end of the day we think that God has called us into the very places that we talked about over the last few weeks and into this um, pretty remarkable tension um, that feels uh, like we're getting pulled in two directions. That God has called us to live um, not outside of the world, not to go have a nice, safe enclave um, somewhere up in the hills, um, but rather we're to live right smack dab in the midst of a culture that's marked deeply by unbelief, deeply by rebellion against God, um, deeply, deeply by a, a, a hatred for the very words of God, and to stand and to live in the midst of that culture, in the midst of that um, opposition, and to do two things, to hold fast to every word that God has spoken um, to treasure every word that God has spoken, to delight in every word that God has spoken, to obey every word that God has spoken, and to love our neighbors, um, and, and to love the very people um, that despise the things that we hold fast to, that we delight in, and that we love. Um, and so we want to work together to, to, to think about those things um, and to put into practice ways of living in the world um, that are consistent with that vision that God's put in front of us uh, from Ephesians, from John 17, from other places like it, um, and so some of you may be thinking, "Well, how in the world does singing fit into that?" Am I just supposed to sing in the midst of my neighborhood? Um, the answer might be yes, uh, but maybe not, uh, depending on y- how you sing. <laughs> um, but but mostly because I I think the the title of that class, "Worship is Warfare," um, it is doubly instructive. Uh, it's instructive in the sense that. The nature of the warfare that we fight in this culture, in this cultural moment, um, is not a war fought with swords and guns and those kinds of things. It is actually a a, a warfare that is fought most primarily um, in the realm of worship. Who will we worship and will we be unashamed to stand and to worship in the midst um, uh, of a culture that tells us we should be ashamed to sing? Um, and, And so the reason why we're singing uh, the reason why music is a part of what we're doing here is because we actually think it's, it's exhibit A as to what faithfulness looks like um, in the midst of uh, apparent darkness. Um, we are a people who sing in the presence of God. Uh, and so um, that's where we're going in the next few weeks. Uh, a couple of instructions. Uh, is it crawlers? Is that the appropriate term? Yes. Crawlers through three, through age three. We'll be upstairs in the cry room once we dismiss from this room. Um, We also ask parents, if uh, wherever your children are, that there would be one parent there as well. Um, Not in the crawlers through three, they'll be with my kids. Um, But in the worship is warfare class or uh, living in Rome, uh, what we'll be doing down here, make sure that one of the parents is where the kids are. Grammatically checking. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. We're actually going to open this morning by singing Psalm 134. Um, and then after that, uh, we'll take just a really quick, we'll just split up. So everybody, singers will go upstairs. Uh, everyone else who still are singers, but you're not going to sing this morning, and um, we'll stay down here, and uh, we'll get started pretty quick. One last thing. Also, I want invite you, these classes will end about 940, um, between 940 and 945. Uh, we actually meet to pray for the service, for our gathering, um, every Sunday morning at 945. We'd love for you to join us. We're usually in this back corner, um, and so about 945, uh, you'll, you should see a group of people up there. Uh, walk on up and um, pray for uh, God's blessing on our gathering today, okay? All right, let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, tell you what we're going to do, and then do what we're going to do. That's the outline for today. All right, so let's pray. Uh, Father, you have called us very specifically um, in your grace to live uh, in what oftentimes feels like a very difficult difficult place. Uh, A place that can feel really, really complicated. Um, A way of living that can feel um, hard. Hard to think clearly about the world around us. Hard to feel clearly and biblically about the world around us. And so God, I pray that you'd help us to think according to your word. Um, and to live faithfully according to your word in the midst of this moment, in the midst of the neighborhoods re- um, represented in this room. Lord, I just pray for the families represented in this room. Um, I pray for uh, the the workplaces represented in this room. I pray for the neighborhoods represented in this room. I'm glad that you would make us a faithful testimony to the reign of Jesus um, everywhere that you've placed us. Uh, we love you. Um, you have saved us. You've redeemed us. We belong utterly and completely to you. Uh, so help us to, to listen to your word, to, to love your word, and empowered by your spirit and grounded and rooted in your redeeming grace uh, that we live faithfully in the world. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so, oh, this is also going to be like amen boot camp. So when we end a prayer, like, everyone has to say it heartily and loudly together, okay? So let's just pretend I'm still praying. And so... Um and actually a profoundly helpful thinker, Uh, but he spent an enormous amount of time um, asking the question, what point in theology should be first? Does that make sense? Like, where do we begin in thinking about theology? Uh, Because where we begin is gonna be shaping for everything. That's determinative for everything. And how do you get from wherever you start to where you wanna go? Like in other words, whatever cornerstone you put in place as you're building your theological house really, really matters. Um, Like if it's a piece of the roof that you've now put as the cornerstone, you're gonna have problems as you try to build the house around it. Um, And so it really, really matters what question you ask first and and where Van Hooser lands is ultimately on scripture itself. Um, The the fundamental presupposition um, uh, of... All theology, all Christian theology, must be God has spoken. He's revealed himself. He's made himself known. He's commanded what he's commanded. And he's done so in the scriptures. And so my, my, my first point to call us to faithfulness in this moment um, is essentially this, to say, like, resolve now um, to follow the scriptures wherever they lead. I'm going to say that again. Resolve now in your hearts. No matter where the Bible leads me, whatever I find there, I'm going to follow it, believe it, trust it, live according to it, wherever it leads me. Um, knowing the, the nature of humanity as it's revealed in the scriptures, that means that you will regularly find yourself in territory in the scriptures where it's saying something that doesn't feel very good or that you don't like or that seems wrong to you. Or, and you'll be tempted in that moment to dismiss it. You'll be tempted in that moment to lessen it. But, but I, would, I would caution you. Actually, I wouldn't just caution you. I would exhort you. It was stronger. I would exhort you to resolve first to follow the scriptures wherever they lead. To believe what they say. To believe that what it calls good is good, what it calls evil is evil. And to believe not only um, not only what it says, but, but pay attention to how it says it. So, so if you want to resist the work of the enemy... Um, at work around us, wielding things like politics, wielding things like social media, wielding things like the news, wielding things like um, psychologies, wielding things like philosophies, wielding things like Oprah. Um, I like to pick on Oprah. Um, wielding, uh, w- wielding things like uh, small, very subtle distortions at the heart of Tolkien's masterpiece. Um, uh, if, you wanna, if, you wanna, if you want to resist the, the lies and the accusations of our enemy, which, by the way, that's, that's what Satan does, according to Scripture. He's a liar, and he's an accuser. So he lies to you and tricks you, and then he stands before God and accuses you. Like That's, that's his game. That's always his game. He's not primarily concerned with making sure your car doesn't start when it's cold, Um, He's not worried about you hitting your head on the shelf above the kitchen counter unless he can tell you a lie through that. Um, So if you want to resist his work in the myriad of ways that it comes, and I I don't want you to underestimate the nature of the work that he does. Um, And and I don't want you to over-spiritualize it. (laughs) Like, don't put it in some sort of foggy realm. Like, the work of Satan to lie to you The work of the enemy, um, the the battle that's being fought is being fought on the grounds of billions, let's say trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars being spent by and through the smartest people who have ever lived on earth who are intentionally wielding those resources and that technology um, and that storytelling and that creativity intentionally to lie to you, to deceive you, and to destroy you. Like, that's the work of Satan. Not like, again, some mysterious reason for your car not starting, or like a weird fog you walk into a house that's creepy looking and, oh, Satan is here. Like, n- that's not the deal. Like, it's his work is pervasive. His work shows up on Twitter, his work shows up on Amazon, his work shows up in politics. His work shows up in subtly, very subtly twisting and wielding kind of the, uh, the natural sympathies and kindnesses that Christians have been exhorted to by the scriptures, but twisting them in such a way um, that they're manipulated, such they actually begin to be bent and spent on. I think this is a lot of what happened um, in the race conversation over the last couple of years is that God took, um, not God, um, Satan took things that were actually good, they're embedded in what it means to be a Christian in the world, things like sympathy, th- things like loving, the, the call to love your neighbor, and they got subtly twisted around a redefinition of the word justice, um, such that they became actually enemies of and, 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 and means by which, uh, I, I'm actually watching friends, like their whole faith in Jesus and the Bible be completely and absolutely destroyed and eroded. Like that's how Satan works. And, and again, it's not that mysterious. It actually involves real money. It actually involves real servers and technology and money. And, and, and to, to deceive you, to lie to you, um, to blind you, to feed your lusts or your greed, to subtly undermine um, your faith, That's where our enemy is at work. And so um, the the, the bulwark against all of that, I think, starts with this fundamental point. Resolve now in your hearts to follow the scriptures wherever they lead. To trust them above all else. When a word, a a biblical word like justice is being um, used everywhere in our culture, You should stop for a second and say, wait, how are they using that word? How are they defining that word? And how would the Bible define that word? When you hear things like the patriarchy is oppressive, you should go, wait a second. I think there's a part of the Bible where there are patriarchs. I should go back and try to understand, is the patriarchy oppressive? What is the patriarchy? Is it by nature oppressive? Or is it actually aligned with the at least in, in many ways, like the way that God's actually designed the world. Resolve in your hearts right now to follow the scriptures wherever they lead. And then the second thing, um, flip over to Psalm 119, verse nine. Because here's where things get tricky. Especially for us stoic, angry Presbyterians. Want to think our way through the Bible? Uh, will somebody read loud and in with vigor that this section res- needs, um, verses nine through sixteen? Right? It's not enough to know the word. It's not even enough to be resolved. Like hey, I'm going to follow the word, and grit my teeth and stoically just believe everything that God says. Like no, He actually instructs us to not just follow, believe, trust but to delight in, to see them as beautiful and delightful. Like the meditation at the root here is not just a matter of like, hey, um, the, the the psalmist wants to be smarter, and so he's going to meditate on the word so that he can um, be filled with all sorts of scriptural knowledge. He meditates on the thing that he loves. He meditates on the thing he delights in. He savors. Like there is a call at the foundation of Christian living, to, to, to follow the scriptures wherever they go and to delight in them wherever, whatever they say. And that's the hard part. Because there's lots of stuff in the scriptures that we have been trained, taught, lied to, to think of as ugly, as gross, as sharp and painful. But God teaches us to delight in them um, we're going to be in First and Second Samuel for a really long time, um, starting today, a- and and there are all kinds of like unbelievably beautiful things in First and Second Samuel, and there are all kinds of really hard, craggy texts in First and Second Samuel, like stuff that we're called and commanded to delight in, that our culture says is dark and evil and wicked, but the Bible says is good and holy and righteous. And so God calls us not only to trust the word and resolve in our hearts to follow the word wherever it goes, but to learn to delight in everything God says and the way that God says it. And then here's one place where the work of the enemy in our day is, I think, most insidious, particularly among Christians. Like we've become a people who are enslaved to our emotions. And, and, And here's what I mean by that. We evaluate our own spiritual condition on the basis of how we feel. We evaluate the effectiveness of a sermon on the basis of how it made me feel. We evaluate the goodness of a song on the basis of how I feel. Such that feelings or sentiment begins to drive the nature of the Christian life. That's not how it works in Psalm 119. It actually works the exact opposite way. Faith in God, faith in God's word, a trust and reliance upon God drives the emotions. Um, oh, there's a great analogy that I was going to steal from someone and I just forgot it exactly. Oh, uh, I know what it is. Um, it's from Rachel uh, <laughs> that Emotions are really great horses and really bad drivers. So if you're thinking of a wagon with the horses, is that the analogy? Does someone know it? That's it. Okay. Um, Like emotions are really, really great, but they should be driven and controlled and managed by something else, namely God's words. But what we find, what I find again and again and again, like what's a challenge even for my life is like um, I even in my own Bible reading in the mornings, Gravitate to certain parts of Scripture because they resonate with me emotionally, and avoid other parts of Scripture because they don't resonate with me emotionally. But we've got to learn to be to, to, to flip the, don't put the the horse. Well, you do want the horses before the cart, but you want the cart. The guy, you know what I'm saying? Um, you want, you want the right thing driving the stagecoach. If the horses are just running wherever they want and there's nobody driving them, like that will destroy your faith. Because in the end, God will become a a reflection of um, your own desires, what your own tastes, what appeals to you, what you want, your own anxieties and fears, rather than you being conformed to and and submitted to, and trusting in the God who's actually just there. um, To use the language of Schaefer. So um, so that's a first. Begin with a first theology. Uh, second, um, don't make discipleship unnecessarily complex. D- don't make the calling of God on your life unnecessarily complex. Um, it, for, for most of us, most of us in this room are not called to go to Iran and be beheaded for the sake of Christ. Most of us Aren't going to get masters or PhDs in theology. Um, most of us are just called to live faithfully in a particular place in a particular time, um, and to do so in ways that honor Jesus. Um, one of the things that we tell our kids all the time is like the um, the most like fundamental place where you give expression to your your obedience to Christ, your your Lord and Savior, is in your relationship to m- me and mom, and in your relationship to your to your brother or your sister like it's not some big vision of how how the world's going to be changed or what faithfulness is 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 like some super crazy costly thing out there that you can be imagined Um, but rather actually it's just it's just right in front of you like how do we learn to speak in ways that are faithful to Jesus well like Hayes it's like learning to speak to Carson in ways that honor Jesus, in ways that are truthful, in ways that are honoring, in ways that are loving. What does it look like to learn to obey Jesus? Well, like when mom says, "Like hey, you need to turn off the Xbox, or you need to um, not, you need to be home by a certain time." Um, it, it means like not arguing with her and actually doing what she says. Spouses, like husbands and wives in this room. Where do we learn to obey? Like Ephesians four, where it talks about how we're to treat one another in a community. Th- there's no harder place to do that than in your home with your your husband or your wife and your kids. Like that's actually where the rubber meets the road in terms of our obedience to Jesus. And I think um, a, a lot of us think about obedience to Jesus, think about faithfulness and the difficulties of this particular cultural moment in. Um, maybe even in terms of like, well, I'm gonna have to take this stand at my company and this work and I'm gonna get fired um, or it turns into like, it, it looks like you know, doing door-to-door evangelism or, or whatever the kind of these, these grand visions of this costly discipleship to Jesus when in reality, like the most costly, the most important place of your faithfulness and your obedience um, to the words of God are gonna have to do with your spouse and your kids and your parents. I'll just do that <laughs> in all honesty. Like, how do you obey Christ? What does faithfulness to Christ look like? What does faithful witnessing to to the rule and the reign of Jesus looks like? What does it look like? Looks. It it looks a lot like how you're raising your kids. Looks a lot about how you're getting along with your spouse or how you're working through disagreements with your husband or your wife on budgetary decisions, perhaps, or what you should eat for dinner. Like, that's where this happens. Which means that, like, where the battle is actually going to be fought is not, it's not going to be on Twitter. It's not going to be on Facebook. It's its its probably not going to be, ultimately, in, like, some sort of, like, grand, sweeping uh, Jerry Maguire. Maguire was very formative for Jenny and I, because for about five years, we owned one DVD and one TV, and we didn't have cable. And so if we wanted to watch something, we would watch that same movie over and over again. Um and he le- you know the, if you know the movie he opens with him writing a memo that's you know supposed to change the entire face of the sports rep agent uh, industry um it, y- y- your faithfulness to Jesus your bearing witness to his reign is probably not going to come in the form of a memo that you write that transforms you know your entire industry it's <laughs> probably not, the, the battle's not going to be at twitter it's not going to be on facebook it's not going to be on instagram um, it, it's really going to be in how you treat your husband, how you treat your wife, how you treat your kids. How do you treat the, the annoying guy um, in the cubicle next to you at work? Like That's where all of this stuff that is actually going to meet the road. Like, that's where obedience to Jesus is actually going to matter and where it's actually going to bear fruit. That's the battle that God's calling us to. That That is where the warfare is. So don't get caught thinking like your little pithy one-liner um, that you hope gets retweeted fifty thousand times um, on Twitter is like, yeah, you really got him there. <laughs> it's like, no, how you how you treating your wife? Like, ha, ha, do you even know your neighbors' names? Are you praying for them? Like, that's where the fight is. Um, third, uh, at the, at the center of kind of the. Um, and I'm going to move fast because we have three minutes. Um, at the center of this battle, this faithfulness, um, is, is gathering with a church um, that worships pretty much the same way every week. That, 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 that grounds kind of the worship of God's people in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, that, that frames um, life before God in terms of his covenant promises and his faithfulness. Um, and it's led by elders or shepherds or leaders, according to Hebrews 13, whose job is to keep watch over your soul, um, who are men who will give an account to God for how they shepherded and cared for you. And so um, at, at the at the root of um, what it means to maintain faithfulness in the midst of this cultural moment, um, and you can say this is a self-serving command if you want, at the end of the day it's like, go to church come to our church gather with the saints worship gather with the saints and and be shepherded and led by elders who will give an account to God for how they cared for you how they shepherded you how they discipled you how they disciplined you who who are there with the job description from God to keep watch over your soul I mean gather with the saints don't never forsake the gathering of the saints in in, in Hebrews 10 um, is the, the the famous text of do not forsake the, the assembly, the assembling together, the coming together of the people of God. What's fascinating to me about that text is it's it's right smack dab in the middle of one of the most difficult texts in the entire New Testament that talks about the, the threat of falling away from the faith. And at the center of it, i the author of Hebrews, which I like to think is Paul. It's probably not, but I really think it might be. Um, tells you don't don't stop assembling together like there's real danger here, and the fundamental means by which you are kept from that danger is is by gathering together with the people of God over and over and over and over and over again to sing to take communion um to worship in the presence of god um and then the last thing uh and, and I will say this is just a a prayer I have for our church is, as we kind of end this morning um, is that we would learn to have a Chestertonian laugh um, and a Lewisonian de- delight in the world. Um, and so I, I'm referencing here kind of unapologetically two of the most influential authors in my kind of way of thinking and seeing and interacting with the world. Um, if you know much about G.K. Chesterton, um, his ability to laugh at the foibles of secularism um, his ability to mock and and, and rejoice in um, the, the words of god over against the silliness of evil he, he has a way of, of looking at wickedness as it becomes pervasive in a culture and having a big thick rolling belly laugh um, and, and i and i want to I, I pray that we as a people would be able to rightly name wickedness, rightly name evil as it surrounds us, as it exists in us, as it exists in the culture around us, and particularly as it exists in the culture around us, for us to be able to laugh with Chesterton. To see it for the silliness that it is, to see it for the insanity that it is, um, a- and to rest in um, the sanity of trusting and loving and believing God. Um, and then the the second reference there to C. S. Lewis, a Lewisonian delight. Um, I, I learned to see the world through reading Lewis. Um to see the marvel of beauty. To to stand and to stop for a moment and, and to, to um and this happens almost every Sunday as I'm hearing one or two children yelp very, very loudly. Um, to stop for a moment and consider just the sheer wonder that there are children in this room. And that God made them to yelp. Um, to, to think again about the wetness of water or the height of the mountains or, or to marvel again at trees. Yesterday I was walking um, because Stout was barking and sometimes he barks when people come and sometimes he barks because he has a demon. I, don't, I, I And so I'd come upstairs and uh, I'm walking by the, the window out of our front yard and there's a squirrel eating something. Have you ever stopped and just watched a squirrel eat something? I can tell you haven't, and you should. It's amazing. It's the, like you just want to sit with him and eat with them. Um, like, it's amazing. Like, so learn to see the, the, the glory, the beauty, the magic uh, of the world that God has called us to inhabit. And then I would take it a step further. Learn to delight in, to marvel at, um, to tremble at the fact that we're surrounded by immortal beings. Um, his, uh, Lewis delivered a sermon that's published in uh, The Weight of Glory. The title of the sermon is Weight of Glory. And, uh, and he has this quote, and I'm just gonna read it. Um, and so this, this maybe balances out that Chestertonian laugh. But, but here's what I would say. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to May one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption, such as, such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. As we live out our life in this world, my I, my prayer is that you would learn to um, laugh at what God calls evil. Not not, please understand that you're not laughing at God, um, but evil by its its very nature is is it's wicked and it's stupid. Um, it, it denies the very nature. It runs counter to the very nature of the way the world's designed. My prayer is that you would learn to laugh in the face of that evil, trusting in a good and just God. I pray that you would learn to see the world and to marvel at the world and to marvel at every good gift God gives us in the midst of this society, in the midst of this city. I I pray that you'd clearly and plainly see the world as it is because you're grounded and rooted in scriptures, which by the way, I I would plead with you to read every day. Um, so that you can name it and you can evaluate it and you can judge it rightly, but I pray that in the midst of that you would not become a cynic, but that you delight in every good gift that God has embedded in this culture and surrounded us with um, in this place. And last, that, that you would see the people around you, unbelievers and believers, as immortal horrors or immortal splendors, as people that are headed towards a destination, they are moving in all of every single person you meet is moving in one of two directions. And so to find people interesting, maybe that's just the, the most basic thing. I am at a professor at Wheaton uh, who was actually a C.S. Lewis scholar. A- and the thing that just, everyone gravitated towards this guy. And I think it was because he found every single human being on earth infinitely Fascinating. So that you could talk to him, and I know how boring I am. Like I know that yesterday I probably watched six hours of football. That's pretty boring. But like when I talk to Dr. Root, I feel like the most interesting person on earth. Because he goes into this whole thing about, I mean, what kind of person watches football for six hours? Like, learn to find people fascinating. Fascinating because of the horror of what they're becoming or fascinating because of the glory um, of the, to which they are headed. But find them fascinating and marvel at them and pray for them. Pray and seek their salvation. Seek um, and pray that they'd be reconciled to God. Seek and pray that they'd be confronted with the truth of God's word, with the absurdity of evil, and that they would come and worship Jesus with you. So next week we're going to talk about marriage, family, raising children in this cultural moment. And um, we'll end up talking a lot about sexuality uh, in, in, in next week's class. Uh, and it, sexuality is, has always been um, the primary place where religion is contested in any given culture. Um, that's no different today, and it's not new today. Um, it's true in Roman culture. It's true in ancient cultures. It's true everywhere. Where Christianity has been corrupted the easiest has been in the realm of sexuality um, and where paganism has always gotten a, a, a foothold in any culture has been on, on the grounds of sexuality. So um, that'll be there for us next week um, as we talk about marriage and children in the last week, um, as we talk about work, um, the workplace. Uh, we're going to talk about what does it mean, where do you, how, do we, how do you discern, where's the right place to take a stand, um, where do you keep your head down, where do you speak and potentially lose your job. Um, that'll be the third week when we come together. But thanks for coming. Um, I'm gonna wrap us up in prayer. And uh, and then we'll see you in about 10 minutes for church. So Father, we love you. Uh, we trust you. We thank you, God, that you haven't left us in the dark. And to kind of figure our own way out. But God, you have spoken. Um, you've spoken in love. You've spoken in wisdom. You've spoken in grace. And so Lord, I pray that we would be a people who love your word and trust your word and therefore meditate on your word. Um, God, I pray that uh, the brothers and sisters in this room um, would open the word and study it and meditate on it and learn to delight themselves in it. And they would resolve now to follow the word wherever it goes, to trust um, the words that you have spoken to us wherever they would lead. Um, we love you. We trust you. Um, and we ask now that you would bless us as we gather in your presence for worship. In your name we pray, amen.